0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna.
1: And me, Frederick. In this episode, we'll sit down with Io from Bolt, which you could say is a privacy-preserving version of the Lightning Network.
0: Before we start, we want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Trail of Bits. Trail of Bits is offering affordable packages for young technology companies who are serious about their security. It's often hard to hire security experts. It's expensive, and tracking down the right talent can be time-intensive. Still, your team may have security questions today, and the code you're committing might need that extra review. Trail of Bits is offering to staff a security channel to answer questions, review high-risk PRs, and contribute security improvements. To be clear, it's not an audit. It's a low-cost monthly subscription to help build a security team inside your company. They'll even go so far as to help find the right candidate to replace themselves when the time comes. Make sure your security is solid, and not just for the two weeks a year that you're having an audit. For more, visit trailofbits.com. And now, here's our interview with Io.
1: We're sitting with Anna and Io, and we're going to dig into Bolt today, something that I'm pretty excited about. It's sort of, I've heard it explained as uh, lightning network for Zcash, and I'm kind of curious on like how, that, how much of that is true, how much does it differ? Io, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me.
0: Let's kick off with a quick intro. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're coming from and how Bolt got started?
2: Great. Uh, So, my name is Ayo Akinyele. I got my start uh, at Johns Hopkins University uh, working with uh, Matt Green, one of the co-founding scientists at Zcash. Um, And back then, um, this was almost about a decade ago, actually. And back then, I, my focus was on, you know, theoretical crypto, how do we transition it into practice? How do we build tools, software uh, to make it easier for uh, cryptographers and application developers to implement their ideas? Um, and so my I was really passionate about, you know, cryptographic engineering um, and solving, you know, technical problems that related to, you know, the transition of crypto. And so I developed the very first tool that I built was called Charm uh, or Charm Crypto. Um, and it was basically that idea, you know, how do we codify, you know, a framework that, you know, has all the tools necessary for cryptogra- cryptographers to implement their ideas quickly. Um, and so it was a Python-based framework. Um, and, you know, the, one of the things that I am really proud of is the fact that it was used uh, to build the, the first version of, of Zcash, which was called ZeroCoin uh, back then, or the ZeroCoin protocol. Um, and so I basically, you know, uh, worked on cryptocurrency indirectly as a result. Um, I didn't jump in, of course, then um, because I kind of observed how uh, the community, well, not the community, but how working on privacy related uh, work with respect to cryptocurrency was kind of viewed as a tool for enabling criminals. Uh, And, you know, one of the funny things that I remember uh, is that an article was written about how uh, Matt and uh, Ian and, and Christina, the original authors of the Zerocoin protocol, uh, were enabling rhino poachers. Um, and I, it was really funny how how much you know criticism uh, they were uh, getting for you know trying to solve a problem that related to um, how we actually use and interact with digital currencies. Um, and so I decided to to go a different path um, after I graduated. Um, I did some additional things before I graduated um, along the same directions of of, of theoretical crypto um, and building tools to um, solve uh, specific problems with respect to security, uh, making them more efficient. Um, And it was like the intersection of of protocol, uh, sorry, of uh, uh, programming languages, um, compilers and and cryptography. And so that was really my uh, Ph.D. uh, thesis work. Mm-hmm. But when I graduated, uh, I worked for a, a non-venture backed startup uh, around um, the idea of commercializing a, a advanced form of encryption called attribute based encryption. And I uh, worked also with Matt Green on this startup and we were trying to uh, make it possible to secure uh, data for, for mobile uh, as well as cloud uh, data in a way, a way that, that solves the access control problem from trusted servers um, in the sense that, you know, traditional access control systems uh, inherently re- rely on software to mediate access to uh, data. And whenever uh, a data breach happens, it's always because someone was able to compromise that server um, in some form or fashion. And so we have a lot of access control logic that's baked into software um, and access ac- Attribute-based encryption is a way to move that access control logic from software into cryptography. Um, and so the this is a, a very um advanced form of public key encryption that uh for about a decade um had not been um you know commercialized. And so I worked with Matt Green and some of additional uh professors from UT Austin as well as uh, uh Johns Hopkins to build like the first uh, commercial uh, version of of this type of encryption. And so this was work done uh, with the government and or with government funding. Um, and it was just, you know, an, an opportunity to uh, basically deploy an idea uh, that uh, was in academia, but had a lot of real world uh, applications. Mm.
0: Did you use any of this in, in, like, has that been folded over into what you're working on now?
2: It hasn't, but it can be. Um, okay. And so one of the, applications that i've seen for abe at least with respect to like uh, like securing wallets or securing keys uh, with respect to uh, bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency um and and basically adding a layer of uh uh, access control so you can it's analogous to like multi-signature uh type of uh, wallets um, Mm -hmm. that we see today for bitcoin and other currencies
0: so it sounds like you definitely were prepped to enter the space because you were kind of looking at very I don't know, similar concepts, but not necessarily in blockchain specifically. Right. What got you, what, what dragged you into this part of the world?
2: Yeah, so the, <laughs> the um, transition actually happened um, after we made the work from this startup uh, on attribute-based encryption open source. And I was kind of looking for my next challenge. And Matt Green and Ian Myers had already written a paper on, on Bolt at the time. And it was inspired by the Lightning Protocol. And they, you know, observed how, you know, Lightning, um, you know, is a great way to uh, scale Bitcoin, but, you know, there are some shortcomings with respect to privacy. And so one of the, the things that they observed was that you could combine um, zero knowledge proofs. Um, and blind signatures and commitments to uh, basically solve that specific problem. You know, I guess for the sake of the audience, um, I can give like a very uh, high level explanation for how Lightning works um, and specifically how Bolt is different from the Lightning protocol, but still interoperable.
0: Just before you do that... Let's define, so BOLT is an acronym, correct?
2: Yes. Yeah. And and there is a naming collision um, with the Lightning BOLT specification, um, Ah. which stands for, the the original BOLT specification stands for Basis of Lightning Technology. Um, And the naming collision exists mainly because of uh, the fact that these two things came out at the same time. And so BOLT, as we know it, um, from a privacy perspective, uh, translates to blind, off-chain, lightweight transactions, um, and it's kind of you know uh, hinting at the fact that we're adding uh, some degree of anonymity, but it's they're basically still lightweight and you know allow us to have efficient uh, payments off chain.
1: Yeah, let's uh, dig into a, a bit of a story on what Lightning Network is. I think that's useful. But I'm also curious on why doesn't Lightning work on Zcash and then automatically you privacy?
2: That is a great question. Uh, so one of the observations that Matt Green and Ian Myers made was that if you took the Lightning protocol as is uh, and implemented it on Zcash, you would be losing your privacy. And that's because, you know, the initial opening of uh, a payment channel, which is the construct that, that Lightning creates, you know, is is leaked to the network. Um, so the initial opening and the initial closing are, are made available. and And so when you start basically making payments off-chain, because you're locking to a single identity, and because the counterparty that you're interacting with has the same record of transactions that you do, if you basically build this out into a network, what it looks like is that you know every time you make a payment through, let's say, uh, some third party, because you, you're only going to have one channel based on the cost of locking up capital, then you're you're in the in the position where every transaction that you make on that channel is is the, the counterparty has a record of it, and so do you want to trust them with that record? You know. Because you're going to use your channel for all kinds of things, right? Because that's the advantage that you get with operating off-chain. And so with that kind of premise as the underlying focus of, of Lightning, then, you know, you are essentially leaking a lot of information to the network.
0: Should we go a little bit more into detail about what Lightning is? Just so you know, we've never really talked about it on this podcast, which I'm sure all Bitcoiners who are listening are like, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have to branch out. We understand. But I think it would be a really great opportunity to start that off. So is there a super like elevator pitch version of Lightning?
2: Yeah, there is. Um, and, and, And let me first say that Lightning is a the protocol and what the Lightning Labs have, have done over the last couple of years is amazing and groundbreaking just because of the the limitations that they have to work with in terms of Bitcoin and the Bitcoin scripting language. Um, and so the fact that they've been able to pull this off and um, give us a, a, a promising approach to, you know, scale Bitcoin, you know, with off-chain payments um, and build these abstractions for applications to be able to, you know, Get an introduction to cryptocurrency with very little friction. Uh, potentially there's a lot of complexity, but it, it's still a, uh, a, a great way to, you know, to transact. And so with that said, you know, the, the high level for how it works is that, you know, you're basically locking up, um, some Bitcoin into a multi sig wallet, which basically requires two uh, parties to spend uh, from that wallet. And then you're maintaining a balance sheet of who owns what in that wallet. Um, off chain, and you're doing that with signatures. So each time I want to pay you uh, some amount of Bitcoin, you know, I basically update this balance sheet and you sign off on it. And so we move the the state of that wallet forward. Um, and then at whatever point that either of us want to cash out, we can just take the last um, update to that balance sheet. And then we broadcast that to the the Bitcoin network, and we pay out the respective balances to our individual wallets. Um, and so you know, the the cost of the on-chain transactions have been am- uh, amortized over the life of that channel.
0: I've heard Lightning described sort of as enabling, and please stop me if I'm completely off here, but like enabling smart contracts somehow, or it, it, it offers this other feature. Not only does it keep this sort of outside balance sheet, making it a bit faster to exchange cash or sorry, exchange Bitcoin, but rather it actually like enables program, like programming on top of it somehow. How does that work?
2: Yeah. So the, there are, uh, constructs within, you know, lightning that are smart contract related or smart contracty, Um, and they allow to do like conditional payments. They allow things like atomic swaps, um, they allow, uh, or enable, um, different ways to to trade uh, cryptocurrencies, and that aspect you know doesn't get uh, talked about a lot. But it's a it's a whole other side of of Lightning that is allowing us to innovate. You know how we you know how we trade cryptocurrencies, and it potentially allows us to get rid of you know exchanges.
0: Okay, so it's not it's not like it doesn't create a platform that you could then deploy something on top of, but rather has some features that smart contracts would have. Right, exactly. Or have enabled. Have enabled, okay.
2: right. Yeah. Right. And and so it, it, it doesn't compete with, with Ethereum in, in the same, you know, like feature for feature, but it does allow us to do more interesting things though, than we've ever done before with just using Bitcoins, you know, with the scripting language that that is available, you know, in Bitcoin.
1: It's uh, early days for Lightning, I think, uh, even though, I mean, it's been worked on for a long time, like you're saying, we're discovering new ways to use it. Uh, there's there's payment channels, but you can poss- possibly have state channels. You could, you know, do interesting things with side chains that both connected the same Lightning network, and you can expand it in, in quite a lot of interesting ways that are just barely explored. But there's still a lot of problems with Lightning network. Um, you know, like you said before, you because of costs, you will tend to establish one channel to like a central hub that then has channels to a bunch of other people. So you. Don't have to have a channel open with every individual you want to transact with. But there's also like availability problems, censorship problems, like observability problems. You need to sort of be online and watching for these transactions to be able to sign off on them, et cetera. What in this problem space is Bolt trying to address?
2: So our focus is on censorship of of transactions. And a lot of the other draw, drawbacks of, of Lightning today, uh, I think value added services are addressing them. You know, so if you look at uh, what Costas is doing in terms of you know, creating physical nodes to hide the complexity of, of uh, running um, a Lightning node. Um, you look at BitRefill um, offering services to receive um, Lightning payments on your behalf. And there are a bunch of other ones, you know, that that are just providing, like for example, capacity as a service. So you know, which is what Brief Refill is doing. And then, and then there are a couple of other ones that I'm forgetting. But essentially, you know, you're seeing um, services crop up that are filling the the usability gaps um, that Lightning um, has created with respect to you know getting it in the hands of of real world users. Um, and reducing that friction. And I think when it comes to like, you know, having to be online, you know, there, there's this concept of a watchtower that will, you know, monitor your channels on your behalf and alert you when your counterparty tries to close, you know, and, 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 and broadcast a, a previous state than, than you were expecting, you know, that reflects some favorable balance to them, for example. And so all of these things together uh, allow lightning to still, you know, continue to thrive despite the quote unquote, you know, drawbacks that are inherent into the protocol. Um, and so our goal is really just to, to build on top of that um, in the sense that we want to be interoperable with, uh, with the Lightning protocol, with our privacy techniques, um, and still be able to benefit from all these value added services that are getting built um, to address these uh, user facing problems. And so with that in mind, our focus is like taking the existing lightning protocol and figuring out how we can adapt the bolt protocol, um, to, um, to how they've structured it. And so fortunately our techniques are specifically focused around like the, the, the state that's being managed, um, off chain. We're changing how the, the, the initial, like the, uh, the privacy of the channel when it's getting created in terms of, uh, what, what's broadcasted to the network in terms of the initial and the closing balance. Um, and then each state that, that, uh, that is maintained off-chain, you know, we're hiding the contents of, of that state transition using zero-knowledge proofs. And so we're mm-hmm. proving that we know a, a secret without you know, revealing that secret. Um, and so our techniques do not require a trusted setup, uh, similar to ZK-SNARKs uh, for Zcash. And so their very generic uh, approach is a a very generic approach um, that is uh, compatible with other uh, currencies. We're using uh, blind signatures, which allow us to, you know, randomize the contents of of each uh, state or or wallet um, and having the counterparty uh, sign that state without learning the contents um, and then the third piece with commitments, um, we're basically just encrypting uh, the wallet and and showing what well, what well, revealing parts of it when necessary. And so the techniques that we have uh, apply to uh, payments, but also apply to you know state channels because you know if you look at it from a generic perspective, all you're doing is just you know w- when I alluded to the balance sheet, um, that's really all it is. It's like just a state. Uh, transition for uh, channels. And so we're just changing how we encrypt and prove various things about each state transition.
0: I wonder if it's, I think we've kind of gone past this, but I know that there's Lightning Network was like one scaling solution idea for Bitcoin, but there were like some other proposals. Has Lightning basically won the battle like is that the main primary scaling now
2: yeah it is uh, but okay. they are taking elements from some of the previous uh, uh constructions um and like and what built- were
0: what were some of those other constructions actually like side chains yeah, so or- the side
2: chain i think was one um there are also a type of channel called duplex channels um i don't uh offhand know all the, the the details but uh, the as far as i understand it you know there was you know a race between some of these competing solutions, um, mm-hmm. and you know, Lightning just offered the most practical and efficient way to build, you know, a payment channel construct that has led to all of the the growth that we've seen over the last couple of uh, years. But they're you know they're, they're taking elements from some of these other uh, proposals, and I think over the next you know year or two, we'll see even more innovation from the Lightning Labs uh, in terms of you know functionality uh, and the different things that we can do with, with payment channels. And so it's, I think it's exciting what they're doing. And, you know, we're just filling a very small uh, role in, in terms of addressing the, the censorship uh, aspects, but still wanting to be complementary to what they're doing. And so, you know, mm-hmm. we're, I don't kind of, I don't view what we're doing as uh, as competitive because at the end of the day, we want to uh, inter- interoper- interoperate um, with, uh, with the Lightning Protocol um as much as we can and you know continue to see the the protocol be adopted by all of these different currencies
0: that actually leads me to my next question which is like is this built for bitcoin or is this built for zcash i've sort of understood it like oh it's similar to lightning but providing privacy but then if you're working with zcash where does that like is it maintaining privacy so let's to to answer that or to get into it let's start with how do you work with Bitcoin?
2: So uh, the the way we've been thinking about working with Bitcoin uh, is as a shielded option or shielded transaction ah. option, similar to how you know uh, Zcash works for with Bitcoin today. You know, with a transparent and a shielded address. So we, we look at it as a mode that you know users can turn on whenever they they want. You know, this advanced form of like payments and any node that supports you know Bolt. Will be able to accept such payments uh, or accept channels in that way, um, and so our focus obviously right now is proving how this can be built end to end to maintain privacy with Zcash, um, and Zcash offers the, the strongest uh, primitives for us to actually you know implement Bolt um, in terms of hiding the initial uh, opening of the channel and 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 the the closing balances, and then you know all the things that happen off chain. You know, like I alluded to earlier. All of the techniques that, that that we're implementing allow us to preserve, you know, the privacy of, of payments on, on a channel, um, and and prevent the uh, linking of payments. Because I think that that's the main problem that we're solving is that is the linkability between uh, yeah. payments. It's much easier to do that on Lightning than it it will be, you know, with with Bolt.
0: And then let's let's go to that second part of that question, which is so. Then how do you work with Zcash? Because Zcash already has, and, and the reason I ask this is because we met actually at zcon zero yeah, right and you were you were on a, an episode of zero knowledge already um but it was a combo episode so if people didn't catch it it was the zcon zero episode i'll we'll put it in the show notes and i remember when you were there you were like you, i mean i understood that you guys had actually gotten a grant from zcash and that it would be related to the zcash stack so what's like i actually understand it quite clearly for bitcoin but Since Zcash already has the shielded accounts, what's the point of Bolt with Zcash?
2: So this is to um, increase the throughput of of transactions. And and the one thing that will happen with Zcash over time is that, you know, there'll be the halving halving of the mining rewards. There will be, you know, there will be continued growth in terms of the number of transactions. And so this is a way to transact with Zcash off chain, uh, similar to what, you know, Lightning does for Bitcoin, but we're doing this for, for Zcash, um, so that, you know, users can create channels in which, you know, they're hiding the initial balance and then able to make, you know, repeated payments, uh, in a very low cost way. Um, and, and so this is more of a future, uh, looking technology for a Zcash. So I think Lightning probably uh, should have existed much sooner for Bitcoin. You know, it would probably would have made it easier to handle the, the scaling of, well, not scaling, but the, the growth that we experienced in 2017 mm-hmm. with, with, with Bitcoin becoming more mainstream in the eyes of, uh, of users. Um, and so we want to kind of get ahead of the curve for Zcash to allow um, that same kind of smooth transition and increase the, the, the accessibility of Uh, zcash in this way because again a similar stack will exist um, Mm -hmm. that lowers the barriers for uh, users to uh, transact with zcash you know in a private way
0: so it sounds like in this case bolt is aiming to become the lightning of zcash in some ways what i'm really curious about here though is like if you're when you go would you call it off-chain what's the what's the terminology okay so when you're going off-chain from Zcash, are you going off chain with a transparent account or a transparent balance? Or are you going off chain with a shielded balance?
2: So the idea is to go off chain with a shielded address, and the reason is that that allows us to build the like an end to end private solution. Um, but mm-hmm. we could also do transparent addresses as well.
0: I mean, transparent, I imagine, would be very similar to Bitcoin. That exactly. would be very complicated. Right. But, but the shielded, like, that's interesting. Yeah. But I don't, how do you, so the, how do you do
2: that? So there, there's the, when you create a, a channel or when you open a channel, there's this uh, funding transaction that takes place. This is where you're escrowing uh, some amount of Zcash to a multi-sig wallet. The source of those funds for that funding transaction is what I was saying reveals the initial balance of a channel. And so with Zcash, if you use a shielded input, um, you can hide that that balance and mm. you can basically obscure that from the network. Whereas that's something that you don't have with Bitcoin. There are similar ways of, we could potentially get something like that um, with with Bitcoin using things like CoinJoin or CoinShuffle um, that is well-known techniques for anonymizing the inputs to like the UTXOs, but like that has some cost associated with it in the sense that like your privacy um, for coin joints is is tied to the size of the anonymity set, all of the other UTXOs that you're mixing your, your coins with. Um, and so practically speaking, you know, if, if it's a small set of people using it, it's not really ideal. Um, whereas for shielded inputs um, with Zcash, if, you know, you could argue if there's a small number of people using it that you could also narrow it, but it's a stronger um, set of techniques, you know, with ZK snarks to, you know, hide who you are with the privacy uh, mode there.
1: You create a normal zero knowledge proof with your shielded transaction as you would, like when you're opening the channel, it's a normal shielded transaction. But then from that point to where you're sending some balance to your counterparty, do you generate more proofs there? Uh, like, how do you hide your transaction in there?
2: Yeah, so that's where Bolt comes in, and it it leverages you know very simple or simplified zero knowledge proofs that you know say basically that you have a sufficient amount of balance in that channel, um, and you and you you commit to um that initial balance after the the funding transaction um, and so the the zero knowledge proofs associated with you know proving that you have a sufficient amount of balance are much different and and much simplified uh than you know what you get for uh on-chain type zero knowledge proofs um mm-hmm. and so with that said you know it it allows us to basically build a very very efficient payment protocol uh for off-chain payments that still allows us to add privacy, but still remain, you know, as efficient as, as how Lightning works for Bitcoin off-chain.
1: So to be clear, what, what can I see? Can I see who the parties are transacting? Can I see the transaction amounts? Or Yeah, to be, to be clear, it,
2: you, you, the counterparty only sees the fact that a customer that they've interacted with in the past is paying them some balance on a channel that they have opened with them. Um, and so the party that's initiating the payment um, gets the anonymity and the party that's receiving payment is is pseudo anonymous. And so and that's because you know they're they're expecting well not expecting, but there'll be a number of uh, customers uh paying that that particular merchant through the channels. And so and the customer and the merchant is just our way of identifying who is initiating and receiving payments yeah. or, or trading in, in the channel. But the the main uh, thing that Gets leaked is just the fact that you know a a user that they've interacted with is is paying them on a the channel,
1: and that's it. Can they tie it back to an address?
2: So no, you wouldn't be able to tie it to a on-chain address, um, and that's because you know the the channel was uh, funded anonymously, and so there are there are scenarios like if we had a if we had used like a transparent address to fund the channel, then, and for some reason, let's say the counterparty decides to abort in the mid- middle of the, the payment protocol um, to try to basically identify, you know, who uh, they're interacting with. If if the channel was funded with a transparent address, that information would be easily uh, observed by the, the counterparty. But if it's with a shielded um, input, or shielded funds, then that's something that the counterparty wouldn't be able to learn. Um, and so we yeah. need uh, shielded inputs not only for uh, privacy but also the security of of the protocol uh, in terms of the counterparty being able to you know identify who they're interacting with anytime they they receive payment.
1: So basically, the mer- merchant can see that they're being paid X amount by someone that they have an open channel with. They can't see what balance that person has. They can't see their their on-chain address. Can someone observing the transactions on the network from an outside kind of you know, see, this is person A and he seems to be interacting with B and C a lot and therefore, like, conclude some other stuff, like metadata leakage type stuff? Yeah, that, that's a great
2: question. And, you know, one of the, the things that, that the original Bolt uh, protocol looked at was, like, how to extend this to when there's an intermediary uh, or one intermediary. Um, and so in that setting, you know, the the only thing that they learn as they forward payments is just that the the fees for the channels were paid. You know, but they don't learn what the the payment amount was from, you know, Alice to to Charlie. And Bob is the intermediary, as an example. Right. Um, But the the limitation with the original protocol is that it doesn't extend to two hops. Um, And so, what we're looking at now with Bolt is how do we actually implement that? How do we design and implement that, you know, in a way that is efficient? And so, we've been exploring uh, techniques uh, in the literature for, you know, anonymous multi-hop payments. Um, and so there's some promising approaches that we're looking at, um, but they also have their own drawbacks. And so the basic placeholder implementation right now is, you know, doing what Lightning does, which is uh, onion routing. So their onion routing technique allows you to basically do, to do multi-hop payments in which you're trying to hide the amount from each hop along the way. But it, it, onion routing is a technique that suffers from a collusion problem, where if the first hop... And the last hop, if they're the same entity or they collude, then they can identify who the sender and the receiver of a payment was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you if you put Bolt on top of that, you could basically break that linkage between the sender and the receiver. Um, and that's just because you know because of, because of the single hop technique that that Bolt addresses. And so with those two techniques combined, you can build an end-to-end solution for, you know, if you have a really, you know, distributed network and lots of nodes along the way. But I think we can do better. And that's what we're trying to, uh, to do. Because, you know, the, the payment amount would leak to all of the intermediate nodes in, in the onion routing plus Bolt approach. I, I just wanted to say that, you know, although, although our focus is on Zcash, we definitely want to go beyond that. And so like I said earlier, like, you know, we just want to prove how this works for Zcash, um, given that it's like a home territory. um, And we've Mm. received a lot of support from both the Zcash company or the electric coin company, as well as the Zcash uh, foundation. Um, And so we want to continue working with them, you know, to build uh, the Zcash lightning network and, and just have an eye for working with other projects as well.
0: What are the other kinds of projects that you would actually be into? Like Bitcoin we've mentioned, but what else? Like all the, like Litecoin, Dash, blah, 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 like all the old forks.
2: The thing that, that we've been looking at is also other protocols. So the InstaLedger protocol is one that comes to mind. It's a layer three uh, approach for um, connecting different ledgers. And ILP also has the use of uh, payment channels as a way to actually do that. And so they've, they've identified you know, private payment channels or anonymous payment channels as, as one way to you know, bootstrap you know, the connectors on on that network. I mean, so we've been, you know, talking to uh, some of the folks on their development team and about potential collaboration with respect to what we're building. We also want to support, cool. you know, those other coins that you mentioned, but obviously the ones that are actually implementing, you know, a layer two uh, network. So, you know, projects like Grin and Beam, you know, come to mind, although those are more, privacy.
0: I mean, they have privacy built into them, yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, you know, they are already going down the path of uh, of, of pursuing a lightning implementation and so, it just kind of works naturally with what our approach and so, we're going to meet in the middle with those projects um, and so, we want to just leverage, you know, the the work that we're doing and to helping other projects as well.
1: Yeah, I actually want to get back a little bit to that later because I, th- I imagine there's actually quite a lot of interesting kind of future cases. If you think about like scaling Zcash, you know, sharding might be in there. And then how do you do cross shard transactions? Yeah, maybe something like that. Anyway, I want to actually bring it back a little bit to... You were mentioning this, this paper originally by Ian Myers, Matthew Green. You worked with them. How, like, why aren't they working on this? Like, and, and how did you come to work on this? And, like, this is the thing you're driving.
2: So, to be clear, they are working on this, too. Um, the uh, thing that's, I guess, different is that um, they've been uh, supporting uh, the, the project as, as scientists. Um, and also the startup that we're building um, called Bolt Labs. Um, and so we've all been kind of working together on the current um, version of Bolt and the next generation uh, of Bolt. I see. Cool.
0: So are, y- are they co-founders with you?
2: Yes. Oh, uh, cool.
0: Is it the three of you?
2: Um, so th- there's more. Uh, there's one other person, uh, Colleen Swanson, who's also uh, someone that I've worked with in the past on sec- in security consulting. Um, we did a project last summer around like auditing uh, the Handshake project Um, And so we've kind of been working together uh, since then uh, on Bolt as well. And so all four of us kind of founded Bolt Labs last summer, and then we've been kind of working hand-in-hand since then.
0: So in that original paper, there were these different kinds of payment channels that were proposed. Um, I'm kind of curious, like, what the three that were listed was unidirectional payment channel, bidirectional channels, and indirect channels. And I'm curious, is bolt labs and the bolt sort of schema that you're building right now is that all three of those is that one of them like is that uh, do you need to have all three i wasn't clear on that
2: yeah so all three are useful but the direct channels the bidirectional channels and the indirect channels are the most useful um and okay. that is because they allow us to uh, the bidirectional channel allows us to move payments in either direction positive or negative and it can be arbitrary values, um, whereas the unidirectional, it's only fixed um, and it's obviously in one direction. Hmm. And so from a utility standpoint and also the construction, the cryptographic construction that comes with the bidirectional channels is much uh, easier to implement. And and so indirect channels allow us to handle you know the multi-hop. Well, we're building up to the multi-hop um, approach, but right now that just addresses the single hop payments.
0: I think the reason it actually stood out f- for me, though, was because of the unidirectional payment channel. And now I'm confused as to when that is used at all.
2: <laughs> well, in practice, <laughs> you can only
0: go one way. Out. Ex-
2: yeah, <laughs> so so I, I think the from a usability standpoint, the uni- unidirectional is probably useful when you're like trading. But you know, it, it comes the construction at least from the original Bolt paper. You know, comes with a lot of uh, uh, additional baggage. Uh, I like to call it, in, in the sense that it. it it has high storage costs. You know, you're you're encrypting a lot of stuff, and you have to store that. You know, um, on with the counterparty. I mean, so as a result, you know, it's less attractive than the the bidirectional payment because you can still do the same thing. It's just that you know you you have a little bit more to work with with the bidirectional channels. That's my oversimplified <laughs> explanation. <of laughs> but yeah, for
0: what, trading, I guess it does make sense because it would just be one way, right?
1: Is there any benefits in speed or anything? Like if I, another thing I could imagine it being used for is like machine payments, like your car paying for le- electricity every mile or something, where it's just like tons and tons of transactions one way and nothing ever goes the other way.
2: That's true, that, that is, is it, definitely useful.
1: Is it better there or is, is still a bidirectional still better just like technically?
2: So I, I, I would say that maybe the unidirectional is better in that, in that scenario. Um, in the sense that you're just kind of offloading, you know, uh, the cost to the, uh, of storage and, and all these other things and computation potentially um, to the counterparty. Yeah, so I would agree with you on that, that it might be better. We just haven't explored it a- as much.
0: If you were to do something like that, then you'd also get into like the question of subscriptions. And mm. I know that um, Least Authorities worked on something which is trying to deal with that like private subscription. It's a- It's an interesting project. Earlier on, you mentioned that Bolt doesn't require a trusted setup. How, how, is, it, how is that possible?
2: Yeah, so our techniques are uh, very standard in the sense that they're based on the, the hardness of discrete log, um, which are you know, the foundation of zero-knowledge proofs. And to be more specific, we're implementing uh, non-interactive zero-knowledge proofs of knowledge, which is a long way of saying that you know, we're just proving that we know something. And, and so, these, these are based on uh, well-studied assumptions, and we are, you know, kind of fitting it into an interactive protocol um, that is lightning to, you know, basically prove various statements about uh, the, the channel um, that, that has been established.
0: So, you said it is interactive.
2: It is interactive, yeah. But the, but the proofs itself are basically non-interactive. So, it's like we, we compress... We, we we basically do a bunch of things, uh, compress the the proof, send it over to the counterparty. They check it. They send something back, and then you know we do something else. And then you know so the 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 bolt protocol is interactive, but the zero knowledge proofs inside the bolt protocol are not interactive.
0: Okay. So there's no it's not a, it's an it's not a snark. It's there's no no. Snark. It's
2: there's no snarks. Um, however, uh, if darn. We Why not? <laughs> uh, we just don't need it. Um, but yeah. if we're if we're if, if we get to state channels and we want to do anything more uh, complex in terms of the things that we're trying to prove, we might use it and we could use snarks or starks or, you know, whatever, wh- whatever proving system allows us to create the the necessary proofs for the things that we need to prove. But like, we just don't need it for, for payments right now. And, and so we, we, because of that, we can uh, get away with uh,
0: our approach. And no trusted setup, which, no is, trusted setup, which is a <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. Because I had a whole line of questioning about like, how do you do this? Do you have to redo it every time? Like that was my...
2: And so that, that allows us to be unique in the sense that like a lot of the projects that, um, that go down this path have to answer all those questions and we just don't have to because of the, the type of instantiation that we're trying to deploy uh, mm-hmm. of, of Bolt. And and so that that has been exciting for me in the sense that this is like low-hanging fruit um, that is super efficient and allows us to prove the things that we absolutely need to prove to get mm-hmm. strong privacy. Um, and and often, one of the things that I get from people when I say that, you know, we're adding privacy to, to Lightning is that, you know, it's already private. And so, I have to clarify that, you know, we're providing anonymity, not necessarily, you know, there is privacy between the the two people interacting, right? It's not, um, it's not that it's not private in that way, it's just that the kind of privacy we're talking about, you know, is more for the network, you know, privacy from the network. And so with that in mind, you know, our, our techniques allow us to prevent, you know, like hubs that, that, are collecting all of this information um, and could potentially, you know, censor uh, transactions if they're operating mm-hmm. in a in a geographic location that you know uh, you know requires them to do certain things.
1: It's not always just uh, hubs either. I know there was this talk at uh, DevCon, by I think Peter Shilagi, um about metadata leakage in ethereum mm. and how you like you can show that you can quite certainly say who someone is just from their transactions on ethereum by just like looking at the isp level of like seeing the network data come out right. of an apartment building yep. that's <laughs> that, true. that kind of stuff and so yeah you would you'd be protecting against some stuff like that as well right yeah, the, the
2: transaction graph that people can build uh, from cryptocurrency is often, you know, often overlooked. And and so I, I completely yeah. agree with respect to metadata and uh, being able to hide some of those.
1: I am super curious how this is built, like what programming language you're using and like how far along in, in the process of building this uh, you are, where is the code, all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, so um, the original uh, Bolt library, which has all the cryptographic uh, impl- uh, construction implementation, you know, of the bidirectional channels and direct blah, blah, blah. That uh, was was done with Zcash Foundation funding, and we put out a proof of concept mid last year. We've been refining the implementation, uh, making it adding like foreign function interfaces. And sorry, this was in Rust, first of all. Uh, and so the, cool. the Rust implementation is out there and we're basically building, you know, foreign function interface so we can plug it into different uh, potential yeah. uh, uh, Lightning implementations. Uh, and so right now, We're basically building a a proof of concept Bolt node that implements all of the channel and on-chain aspects, you know, channel management, on-chain transactions, you know, for opening, closing. And that was also partially funded by the Zcash Foundation. It's taken a bit longer to complete that, but that's just because of the inherent complexity that is Lightning. Um, But we're navigating both the node implementation as well as refining our Bolt protocol um, so that, you know, both can kind of work together in a way that is more natural. And because uh, the, the original implementation was more of an abstract protocol implementation. And now we're, you know, basically basically building a real world uh, implementation that fits with how Lightning works. And so, you know, we're, we're basically trying to reconcile the two. And so with that said, you know, we are we have a, a GitHub for Bolt Labs where we have, you know, the the Rust implementation for the Bolt node we're building off of the rust lightning uh, code base as well as the lightning um, labs implementation or the lnd um, as and, and so we're kind of getting at a a reference implementation that that shows how this would work for for zcash um, and then going from there and so all of this stuff That's is cool. is is out there we're just not done yet and and we're built basically building on a fork of zcash that introduces some of the changes um, that are necessary for bolt to work
0: i see so you would you'd would only be able to deploy once they do the next upgrade right right okay
1: so yeah you're you're if i hear you correctly you're not like trying to rewrite all the networking and no. <laughs> everything in a node it's sort of write the, the Bolt protocol and plug that into existing Lightning code? Yes, as best as we can.
2: I mean, it won't be clean for, you know, and, and that's the other thing that we're kind of evaluating, which code base has the best architecture to support Bolt in a, in a natural way that doesn't introduce, you know, yeah. annoying bugs. And so it's a, it's a delicate balance. Uh, but I think, you know, once we get through our implementation for Zcash, we'll have a, a better idea if we need to do a re-implementation for, um, you know, whatever we end up deploying. But the great thing is that once we once we do it once, you know, it's it's much uh faster to do it again, you know, with your own with, with the whole picture kind of figured
0: out. I have a question now about, and it's not super related to this project, but I think we've never mentioned it on the podcast, and it's something that came up. The I guess you'd call it a bug in the <laughs> Zcash. I mean, it's tricky, right? It's like the math. There was a a bug, I think that's what they're calling it. Right. In the Zcash. Uh, implementation pre-Sapling. Right, Sprout. Yeah, and I think that shook co- the confidence of the team maybe a little bit and the community. Um, it definitely made people think like, okay, so it, it made people kind of revisit that that fear. The idea that somebody could like be printing crazy amounts of Zcash within shielded accounts. What do you, I mean, I don't know if it relates to what you're doing because I can't imagine, like it's, it's sort of unrelated, but what is your thinking about it? I'm just curious like if you like, what your take was on it, if you had any concerns about, like, working on it.
1: And if it has affected your own approach and how you write your code.
2: Yeah, I think
1: it certainly has.
2: I mean, I think it, it shows that no one is above... The law of of creating vulnerabilities, right? That
0: <laughs> the human human what's the, what's the word? Uh, human failabilities, exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah. And just to give you some more context, so part of the work that I've done in the past has been like auditing other people's code and you know finding vulnerabilities and reporting um, that to them. And it's just something that takes time. It, it takes repetitive it's a repetitive thing like you you you're never satisfied with the state of your you know code you never you know considered hack proof you never consider it something that that you know has no vulnerabilities and i think that's the the thing that that we should all take away is that we should never consider any of these projects something that that don't have vulnerabilities that could you know cause the entire house of cards to fall apart and so we should treat it as such you know experiment, experimental technology requires uh, continuous uh, evaluation and adjustment, and um, and so my my philosophy is audit, trust, verify, and repeat. You know, mm. or audit, verify, then trust, <laughs> actually, <laughs> uh, then repeat. And that's just because you know it, you never know. Like you, you you think you you think you, you don't have you know groundbreaking flaws. Uh, We're well, not groundbreaking, but product killing flaws. But you might, and you just have to find it before hackers do. Um, and that's really the best that we, anyone, any project can, can do. And so if, if they weren't looking at the code base um, for flaws and claiming that, you know, it was without vulnerabilities, then that would be a, you know, a, a totally separate conversation that would make me uncomfortable working on the project, but because they get frequent audits and they're working with you know the right teams in terms of finding um, the vulnerabilities, gives me confidence that, you know, the right people are are making it work better. Um, and so, it's just inevitable. And, and, and for me personally, the approach that we're taking with Bolt is similar in the sense that we're looking at the protocol, looking at the implementation, going back to the protocol, looking at things that are potentially problematic, addressing them, you know as we are building um and so ultimately we're going to go under an audit as well you know we're not going to just deploy something um that hasn't been vetted um and i think that's the the main lesson we all have to just do the best we can um but recognize that it's it's a long process
0: i was i i mean i was definitely impressed with the postmortem and the detail that was shared i thought that was really interesting just to imagine like they they really laid out like at what point i think the most interesting to me was like at this point we contacted our pr person You're like, yeah. wow. like every step <laughs> right And like who knew when and i mean i and i understand that for the nature of the project you need to do that and that was very impressive but it also like it's also sunk in i think after some time that like Wow, that was—you dodged my- a bullet. <laughs> Hopefully, dodged, right? <laughs>
2: that's true. That's true. Yeah. So I think the the turnstile it's migration.
0: Also- oh yeah, the turn. What is this? The turnstile
2: migration for like sprout to to sapling is something that I think will reveal you know more information about whether this has actually been exploited or not. But the the, the sad thing is we might never know, right? And then. Yeah but we have to be comfortable with that and just keep moving forward. And-,
0: and the thing is like some of the best people in the world for this type of stuff worked on this stuff. And so um, in a way that's great because the likelihood of someone outside finding it was, is low, but it's also, I think it speaks to what you just described as like humans are humans and they're going to make mistakes somewhere. So it's just about the systems to try to prevent it.
2: But it also just shows the importance of at least keeping the the electric coin company funded to, you know, continue to innovate and improve the Zcash, uh, you know, code base. Right. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, they are well positioned to uh, improve it, you know, for the Mm -hmm. entire uh, ecosystem. I mean, anyway, that's my two cents on that.
1: To wrap up this episode, I want to talk a little bit about where we see this going, what we see the future of this being Uh, Like I mentioned before, something that I imagine, and I talked to Zuko about scaling and like how they think about it for Zcash and sharding as the natural thing to talk about. But sharding, you run into a bunch of other problems, Uh, not not least cross-shard transactions. But in a currency-only world like Zcash, where you, you're, you don't have to deal with data migration, you don't have to deal with smart contracts making cross-shard transactions in a general fashion, having something like Bolt deal with cross-shard transactions is actually perfectly acceptable. So basically saying we have you know 100 chains all secured by the same proof of work, and we don't have a relay chain that most other sharding solutions have. We just say there's bolt to talk between chains and then you'll most likely end up with chains that are locality based so you have like a US chain with most Americans on them and they can transact freely and then if you want to move money somewhere else you use bolt that that's a future that might exist <laughs> Uh, I wonder how you see your development roadmap ahead, and and what you see for the project in the future.
2: And that that's it. Like we're we're basically pursuing cross chain trading as well, um, and in particular like non custodial trading um, with exchanges, OTC trading uh, desks, and so on. And ultimately, we would like to you know long long term be able to build a decentralized exchange platform. And that's just you know after we've been able to integrate with a number of. Uh, different chains um, with minimal friction, obviously. And, you know, this technology is out there. Um, and so that is our long-term plan. Um, and, you know, so we're looking forward to working with the community to basically build that future. Because fundamentally, I believe that cryptocurrencies are meant to be used as a medium of exchange. And, you know, well, Bitcoin is often viewed as a store of value uh, more so. And I view Zcash as a private store of value that could also be used as a uh, medium of exchange and so bolt i think allows us to address the the medium of exchange aspects of 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 zcash but also allows us to build like a way to to trade uh, across chains with with off-chain atomic swaps Um, and so that's that's kind of the technical um, roadmap that we see for bolt
0: earlier on when you were talking about sort of your entry point into crypto one of the maybe concerns you had was that it was always being labeled as you know privacy is for criminals and maybe we can wrap up with just a quick look into like how has that changed for you like what you know why why did that no longer dissuade you
2: yeah because i think uh the work that zcash has done to convince regulators uh, i think it has done a major service to a lot of other projects that are you know trying to make it clear that the goal is the honest majority um, to provide privacy for them from the public, you know, from their neighbor, from ex-girlfriends or boyfriends or stalkers or, you know, anyone that just wants to have the ability to execute confidential payments. And, you know, there being a way to achieve that balance. Um, And I think, you know, with selective disclosure uh, built into Zcash, Um, that's kind of the first technique that I've seen that regulators have been comfortable with to allow, Mm -hmm. you know, a private payment method um, that could be audited later. You know, and I think, Mm -hmm. you know, we can pursue a similar path, but in a different way. So before you're able to open a channel with the service, you go through KYC. Um, And so they, they know who you are, but they can't necessarily link who you are with how you decide to spend your money. You know, and so and that and as long as you can prove that you haven't paid someone on uh you haven't executed a payment to someone on, on a blacklist, that should be sufficient, you know, to not reveal all of your sensitive information. Like you should still be able to keep that private, but still show them that you're an honest user, that it's behaving in an honest way. And so those are the two things that I think you know we're 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 seeing that we could also apply to how we're building bolt that would work in the real world. And, and so I've had a few conversations with you know people that that know a lot more about you know regulation and uh, de-anonymizing blockchains for finding out about you know child abuse and, and things that are criminal uh, in nature. And so they've been fine with this line of thinking. Um, and so obviously that that isn't a that isn't a certification of what we're doing per, per se, but it does give us more confidence that we can build bolt in a way that still allows us to satisfy the law
0: and keep people safe
2: and keep people safe while keeping keeping people safe exactly well said thank you
1: well thank you very much for joining the show it's been awesome it's a super interesting topic to talk about thank you frederick thank you anna really appreciate your time and uh looking
2: forward to working on this and uh, sharing with the community uh our progress
0: we will and maybe see you at zikon one i'm hoping so i'm hoping so
2: cool i mean
1: croatia is hard to pass up
0: (laughs) it's gonna be hot it's like june but anyway um and to our listeners thanks for listening
1: thanks for listening